Even if you're not a basketball fan, you probably recognize the name Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq is a Hall of Fame center uh, who led the Los Angeles Lakers to three NBA championships back to back to back. He was one of the most dominant centers of all time. But I want to ask you, have you ever seen a picture of Shaq standing next to his girlfriend? There's a little bit of size difference, wouldn't you say? He looks like a giant standing next to her. (laughs) Sometimes we look at a couple and say, wow, this is a really mismatched couple. Now, I realize when you're seven feet, one inch tall, it's hard to find a girl anywhere close to your height. But there's just such a height disparity, sometimes we would say, you know what, that's a bit of a mismatched couple. We might say the same for this next couple as well. We look at that couple and we just kind of want to pull that guy aside and say, hey, buddy, I hate to break it to you, but she's way out of your league. (laughs) How about this next one? Now, in in recent years, the, uh, you know, Urban Dictionary has called middle-aged women cougars if they try to date men that are 10 or 20 years younger than them. This lady is like a cougar's mother. (laughs) She's old enough to be this young man's grandmother, but... They evidently got married and are living happily ever after to some extent. Sometimes we look at these couples and say, wow, that's just a mismatch. It doesn't seem to be a couple that is going to have a marriage that lasts. Sometimes we look at a couple and we say they're just not compatible. Sometimes we say that about a couple under our breath, and lo and behold, six months later, they have a nasty breakup when we say, yeah, I I called that one. At other times, we look at a couple and we say there is no chance that that marriage is going to last. And 10 years down the road, we kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, I guess they proved me wrong. They seem to be doing well enough. They're still married and seem happy. And so today we're going to dive into God's word as part of our marriage renovation series. And we're going to be taking a closer look at what God's word teaches us about compatibility. All of us who are married or hope to be married someday want to be on the same page with our spouse. Amen? Uh, We don't want our relationship with our spouse to be like a a water and oil. That, you know, they just don't work together. And it shouldn't surprise you to learn that God doesn't want you and your spouse to be like oil and water either. So within His Word, God reveals the secrets to compatibility. Now, when we talk about compatibility in Christian circles, normally someone in the room will quote 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. It goes like this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Most of you have probably heard someone quote that verse in reference to marriage. It's a very important verse that we'll take a closer look at this morning. I bet you'll learn some things that you didn't know before. And I guarantee you that by the end of this message, you'll have a better handle on what God's Word teaches us about compatibility. And you'll be better equipped to help those around you in their relationships make better relationship choices. And so let's take a closer look at this passage that 2 Corinthians 6.14 stems from. And so in your Bibles, do make sure you're there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll begin in verse 14, and I'll read through verse 18 here in this great chapter. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 
beginning uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is another name for Satan. Uh, What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. May God bless us as we study his word and hide it upon our hearts today. As many of you know, Impact Christian Church is a New Testament church. And what we mean by that is we have very carefully looked at the New Testament, particularly at New Testament churches that have been lifted up in Scripture as ideal model churches, and we try to model ourselves after those New Testament churches. It's very important to us at impact. For example, the church in Jerusalem met on Sundays and took communion together every week. So we do the same. Throughout the book of Acts, Christian churches baptized new believers on the same day they made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so we have the same practice. We try to baptize someone on the same day that they accept Christ. The most impactful churches in the New Testament prioritize teaching God's Word and prayer and outreach. So here at Impact, we prioritize the teaching of God's Word and prayer and outreach. The New Testament provides us with some wonderful examples of model churches. Uh, We took a closer look at two of them during our Seven Churches of Revelation series over the past couple months. The church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 and the church at Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, they were model churches and we would do well to follow their example. But the New Testament also provides us with some wonderful examples of lousy churches, right? Think about that study we just did, those seven churches in Revelation. There were some real doozy of some churches in that group of seven, like the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus said, hey, you're doing lots of good things, but hey, there's one thing I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. We don't want to follow that church's example, do we? We don't want to be a a cold church. Uh, We don't want to stop loving Jesus or stop loving people. We also don't want to be like the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus said to them, point blank, you have a reputation for being alive, but I know the truth. In actuality, you're dead. We don't want to be like that church, do we? Well, how about the church at Corinth? That's an important question to answer because we just read this passage from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. How about that church at Corinth? Was it a model church or... Was it a don't-touch-it-with-a-ten-foot-pole kind of church? Well, sadly, it was more like the latter. The church at Corinth, especially in its early years, was a pretty messed-up church. You can read about several of its biggest blunders in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. 
And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul spends some time addressing one more blunder. You see, the Corinthian Christians had allowed false teachers to come into their church and persuade them to water down the teaching of God's word and to turn their backs on the Apostle Paul. So that provides us with the context of this passage we just read. When Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. It's important to understand that first and foremost, he's referring to relationships in the church. He is saying, Corinthian Christians, stop getting all chummy with false teachers. Corinthian Christians, stop allowing them to infiltrate your church and lead you away from Christ. This is how we should interpret 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. However, at the same time, this verse provides us with a timeless principle, a timeless principle that applies to every other relationship Christians are in, including business partnerships and close friendships and dating relationships and marriage. Now, let's take a closer look at this term, equally yoked. What does it mean to be equally yoked? I'm so glad you asked. Well, Paul is referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10. I'm guessing you don't have that verse memorized. I don't either. Here's what Deuteronomy 22:10 says. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Remember, there are 613 laws of Moses uh, that we read about primarily in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's 613 total laws that God gave to Old Testament Israel, and he said, follow every one of these laws. This is one of them. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Now, from our 21st century perspective, we look at this law and we say, what the heck kind of a law is this? I understand uh, thou shalt not steal. I understand thou shalt not commit adultery. And I understand thou shalt not kill. But do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. I'm sorry, God, this one just kind of goes over my head. What's the deal with this law? Well, that's an important question to answer. Why can't an Israelite allow a donkey and an ox to pull a plow together? Well, any third world country farmer who doesn't own a tractor can help us answer that question. You see, any third world farmer that uses animals to pull his plow to make those furrows where he can plant his crops, anyone can tell you that an ox and a donkey under the same yoke is a really bad idea. For starters, they're not anywhere close to the same size. I did a little research and I found out that the average ox weighs about 2,000 pounds. The average working donkey weighs about 500 pounds. So compare those two, you've got an ox that weighs four times as much as its counterpart, the donkey. How on earth could you plow a straight furrow if you've got an animal on one side of the yoke that's four times bigger than the other animal on the other side? You can't. Uh, That would be like you playing a game of -of tug-of-war with a 600-pound sumo wrestler. Can you imagine what that would look like when someone says, ready, set, go, and you both start pulling? That sumo wrestler would jerk you around the place like a rag doll. It's not going to work. 
So God tells the Israelites, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Oxen are much bigger and stronger than donkeys. They pull at different speeds. They have different rhythms uh, that they fall into when they're pulling a plow. God knew that they could not work together in harmony. So he said, don't yoke them together. You're asking for trouble. Interestingly, there are, there's one other problem with having a donkey and an ox under the same yoke. If you look at those Old Testament dietary laws, you'll discover that an ox was considered by God to be a clean animal. In other words, the Jewish people could eat an ox. They could eat ox meat. But guess what God said about the donkey? Uh Uh-uh. It's an unclean animal. So one of the big problems for the Jewish people was this fact that if they had an ox and a donkey under the same yoke, you would have an unclean animal paired off with a clean animal, and God could not have that in a nation that he had set apart to be holy unto him. And so let me put this up on the screen for you. This is an obscure law, but it's important to understand this. This law about not allowing a donkey and ox to be under the same yoke provides this timeless principle for all God's followers Those who are clean should never be yoked together in close relationships with those who are unclean. Or to say it more simply, those who love God should never enter partnerships with those who don't love God. That's pretty plain, isn't it? That's the principle that any follower of God, Jewish or non-Jewish, can pull from this Old Testament law. It's very clear in the book of Deuteronomy that God intended this principle to apply to marriage. Listen to what God tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. This is what God says. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, Seven nations larger and stronger than you do not intermarry with them. And he goes on to say this. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. That's what God's word says there in Deuteronomy. Fast forward about a hundred years. Here's what we read in Judges chapter three, verses five through eight. It says this, the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Those names sound familiar. We just read that back in Deuteronomy. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The Israelites did exactly what God had told them not to do. They intermarried with unbelievers and the result of that sin was exactly as God had prophesied. The unbelievers pulled the hearts of the Jews away from God and they began worshiping and serving false gods instead of worshiping and serving the one true God. 
And his pattern has been repeated over and over again throughout history. When a believer marries an unbeliever, a game of spiritual tug of war begins because they are unequally yoked. And guess who usually wins that game of tug of war nine times out of ten? The unbeliever does. Why? Because it's the path of least resistance. Right? It's true. It's just easier for that believer to cave because after all, we all want peace in our marriage, right? And so nine times out of ten, the believer will cave and give in because they want peace in their marriage. The believer is already compromised by choosing a spouse who has turned their back on God, so it's pretty easy for the believer to compromise a bit more by turning his or her own back on God. It's like the old Sunday school illustration. Maybe some of you did years ago when you were a child or teenager. You have one of the kids stand on top of a chair, and then you have another child on ground level, and then they grab hands and you say, ready, set, go, and each begins to pull. Nine times out of ten, who's going to win? The person on the floor, right? It's going to pull that kid right off the top of the chair. It takes a really strong kid to pull that kid back up on top of the chair with him. Nine times out of ten, the one who's on the ground is going to win, and much the same could be said about mixed marriages between a Christian and a non-Christian. What's true of kids' chairs is equally true of Christians in marriages that are unequally yoked. So here's the bottom line. There's no doubt in Scripture that when it comes to choosing a spouse, God commands us to choose a fellow believer. So we ask this question, is it a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian? The biblical answer is, yes, it is. It is a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. Listen to how the the New Living Translation translates that passage we just looked at a few minutes ago in 2 Corinthians 6. Here's how it translates verses 14 and 15. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? It's a good translation, don't you think? Now, look at how the message paraphrases these two verses. So this isn't a direct translation, but it's kind of a dynamic equivalent, and I think it's pretty powerful in this case. The message says it this way, Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands. Hmm. Really gets the cranks turning, doesn't it? Those are some great, great questions. Jesus and Satan can never be partners. They can never pull a yoke together. And the same holds true for believers and unbelievers. Now, if you are already in a marriage that is unequally yoked, you're probably wondering what God wants you to do. And so let me share with you what I believe, according to Scripture, God wants you to do. If you were a Christian on your wedding day and you married your spouse knowing full well that he or she was a non-Christian, 
then I believe the word of God is clearly calling you to repent. You need to admit to God, I sinned by marrying someone that was not in the faith. I went against your command to not be unequally yoked. And you need to ask for God's forgiveness. Admit your sin and ask for forgiveness. Now, regardless of whether you were a Christian on your wedding day or became a Christian at some point later, in both cases, you need to follow what God tells you to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. For the sake of time, I won't go through all those verses, but I encourage you to jot it down, write that down, and read it on your own. Let me quickly highlight what God is telling you to do in those verses. Long story short, do not divorce your spouse. Do not divorce your unbelieving spouse. Husbands, Pray for your wife's salvation and pray that God would open up an opportunity for you to share Christ with your husband. Husbands, if you are the believer, do not divorce your wife. Pray for her and pray that God would open up an opportunity for you to share Christ with her. And with God's help, strive to to live at peace with your spouse. Amen? Now, Many of you listening to this message are single, but hope to be married someday. What I'm about to share with you is priceless. Others of you are married and you have kids or grandkids who plan to get married someday. And at some point in time, some of them will come to you asking for relationship advice. For you, what I'm about to share with you is also priceless. It's not enough for us to tell each other, marry a Christian. And we're done with the conversation. It's not enough to simply say marry a Christian. There's much more to compatibility than two people, a man and a woman, believing in Jesus. When the Word of God tells us to be equally yoked, it's not just saying marry a believer. Whether or not you've heard me share this before, I want you to please pay attention to what I'm about to share with you because I think it's critical for us to take to heart. And it's critical to keep in mind. I want to share with you a little something I call the compatibility target. This is something I have shared for many years as I meet with a couple for the first time for premarital counseling. So I've shared this over the years so many times with engaged couples, and I want to share it with you quickly today. When it comes to choosing a spouse, many people believe the old saying, opposites attract. And it's certainly true that on some level, opposites do attract, in relationships. But when it comes to having a marriage that thrives, a marriage that is healthy and happy, both the Word of God and scientific research verify that compatibility, having more in common, at least in the most important areas, is critical. It's critical. So I want to start now with the outer black ring. And if you have a piece of paper and a pen handy, I encourage you to quickly just draw on that piece of paper a little target, just four concentric circles. And you can jot in these different rings in the circle as I walk you through this. And so in the black rings, we have that first area of compatibility I want to share with you. Interests, likes, and dislikes. It's a really good thing. It helps a couple to be compatible if they have similar interests and likes 
and dislikes. Uh, many uh, people uh, like certain sports teams, and they find that with their spouse, uh, if their spouse likes the same sports team, that's a great area of commonality that uh, makes their relationship uh, a little more enjoyable. Uh, there's some couples that are highly compatible that perhaps like the great outdoors. Uh, others like to watch the same kinds of movies. Sometimes you have a husband and wife that are really compatible. They both hate broccoli. You know, all of those can be a healthy thing in a relationship, particularly in a marriage. You have similar likes and dislikes and interests. But when it comes down to it, interests, likes, and dislikes are in this outer ring of this compatibility target for a reason. Of all the areas of compatibility that we'll look at over the next couple minutes, these three are the least important. I want you to think about the typical junior high romance. Uh, the junior high girl is so excited and she runs up to her friends and says, guys, guys, guess what? I have a new boyfriend. And all of her friends go, oh, they're so excited for her. And they say, tell us all about him. And she says, okay, I'm going to tell you all about him. First of all, he is so, so cute. And so she giggles for a moment and then she goes on. And she says, you know what? You guys know me well. You know what my favorite food is, right? My favorite food is pepperoni pizza. And you'll never guess, his favorite food is pepperoni pizza. Oh, we have so much in common. Oh my gosh, we're perfect for each other. And if you as an adult are walking by and overhear that conversation, you're thinking to yourself, man, that girl's got a lot to learn. You can't be building a relationship on a mutual interest in pepperoni pizza. Uh, that, that's nothing substantial there, right? So having similar likes and dislikes and interests, think of it as icing on the cake. That can be wonderful in a marriage, but you can't build a marriage off of it. The average junior high relationship is built on likes, interests, and dislikes. And that's why the average junior high relationship lasts about 10 minutes, <laughs> right? Right. So it's wonderful icing on the cake, but there are three other areas that are even more important to have as compatible in a marriage. So that leads us to the third inner ring, the blue ring, which is goals. Goals are much more important than having similar likes, dislikes, and interests. If you're jotting down notes, put this down. Goals describe where a person is heading. Goals describe where a person is heading. A couple will not be compatible if they are heading in different directions, right? If the woman plans to be a missionary in Africa and the man plans to be a politician in Washington, D.C., uh, they're going to have a lot of friction in that marriage. It's probably not going to work out too well. It's very important for young couples to explore each other's goals. Here are a few questions that couples can ask each other to see if they're compatible in the area of goals. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Where do you want to live? How many kids do you want to have? What are your financial goals? And we could come up with many others. There are just a few examples. Most high school romances don't end up in marriage largely because... Those two teenagers who seemingly fall in love are like two ships passing in the night. 
Imagine the scene out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. These two cruise ships meet one night in the middle of the ocean. And it's so exciting because water is 360 degrees in every direction. And, and it seems like fate that those two ships have met. And, and there's so much fun and enjoyment. And the chemistry is there. And the fireworks are going off. But we know what's going to happen the next day. Those ships are going to go on their way because they were two ships passing in the night headed in different directions. Most high school romances don't last because those two are heading in different directions. It's very important for a married couple to have similar goals. A husband and wife need to be heading in the same direction. But as important as compatible goals are, there's an area of compatibility that's even more important. It's the second inner circle, the red circle, that is beliefs. Beliefs. So beliefs, if you're taking notes, you can jot down. That is what you hold to be true. Beliefs are what I hold to be true. Each of us holds thousands of different beliefs. Uh, For example, I believe that the earth is round. I believe that Pluto is a planet. I believe that koala bears are cute. I believe that the L.A. Lakers are a good basketball team. I believe that Tom Hanks is a good actor. I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. And the list of my beliefs goes on and on, and so does yours. Although no two people will be in complete agreement with their long list of thousands of beliefs that they hold, it's very important for young couples to explore each other's most deeply held beliefs. For example, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about salvation and heaven and hell? What do you believe about church? What do you believe about politics? That's an important one. And what do you believe about raising children? These are important, more foundational beliefs that a couple needs to probe each other about in their dating relationship. In order for a couple to be compatible, it's critical for them to have these most deeply held beliefs in common. The fact is, having similar beliefs is so important that I used to believe that that was the bullseye in this target of compatibility. I used to believe it was the most important area for a couple to be compatible with. But several years ago, a pastor convinced me that I was wrong. There's an area of compatibility that's even more important than beliefs, the bullseye. And that bullseye is values. It's values. Values can be defined as what I really care about and what I prioritize what I really care about and prioritize. And here's why values are even more important than beliefs. The truth is, of the thousands of beliefs that you have, the thousands of beliefs that you hold to, you do not have enough time in the day or enough energy in your body to invest in those beliefs. You only have enough time and energy to invest in a handful of the beliefs that are most important to you. And so quick example, I believe that Pluto is a planet, but I couldn't care less about Pluto. I invest no emotional energy in Pluto. You know, if it suddenly blew up, you know, I wouldn't shed a single tear. 
<laughs> I believe it's a planet, but I have no emotional energy wrapped up in Pluto. And on a normal week, I don't even think about that planet because when it comes down to it, I really don't care. I don't have enough time or energy to invest in that planet. And since you have a limited time and limited amount of energy, there are only a handful of beliefs that you care enough about to think about and prioritize and invest your time and energy in. And the same holds true for everyone else. Many Christian women complain that their husbands sit on the couch watching TV every single Sunday morning and don't go to church with them. And their husbands don't seem to care about prayer and they don't spend time reading the Word of God and those Christian ladies are throwing up their hands saying, I don't know what went wrong. And sometimes a friend will ask them, well, is your husband a Christian? And that lady will respond, absolutely. I made sure I asked him, are you a Christian before we got married? And he said, yes. And so they don't know what the problem is. Well, the problem has to do with values. Hubby believes in church, but the honest truth is he doesn't care about church, right? Hubby believes that the Bible is God's word, but he doesn't love the word of God. Hubby believes that it's a good idea to pray, but he doesn't pray because it's not a priority. It's not a priority. These things are not a core value for him. Anyone can say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in the Bible. Sure, I believe in church. But the proof is in the values. The proof is in the values. You see, values reveal the heart. Say that with me. Values reveal the heart. One more time. Values reveal the heart. So I believe... God wants all Christian singles to ask their dates deep, values-centered questions. They might be a little uncomfortable, but we need to ask them. Questions like, who do you really love and why? Ladies, if you ask your guy you're dating that question, if you ask your boyfriend, who do you really love and why? He's going to probably go right to, baby, I love you because you mean the world to me. And you say, no, 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 that's a cop-out. I'm out of the picture here. Who besides me do you really love and why? Make him ask that question. How about this question? What are you really passionate about? How about what really gets you excited? If you had a million dollars, how would you spend it? What do you do every day regardless of how busy you are? If you could spend the rest of your life doing only one thing, what would it be? Ask your date values-centered questions because they will help reveal his heart. They will help reveal her heart. And you can quickly determine if you're on the same page or not. Do you see how important values are? It really boils down to this. The most healthy and happy marriages are those in which the husband and wife have the most important things in common, values beliefs, and goals. This little compatibility target is a gift to you. You can be talking in a conversation at a, a dinner table at some restaurant with a friend or family member, and you can pull out a napkin and start making some circles. You can remember this. 
How can I be compatible? How can I know that the person I'm dating or the person I'm engaged to or the person I want to marry is compatible with me? Just start making those circles and start on that outer ring. Talk about likes and dislikes and interests and go one ring in to that next one. Talk about goals and then talk about beliefs and then talk about the bullseye values. Find out what that date really, really cares about. Find out what your boyfriend or girlfriend or fiancé really in their heart of hearts cares about. Because anyone can give lip service to God, but the proof is in the values. I want you to take this to heart and for the good of those around you, share it with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for teaching us through your word about compatibility. Lord, some of us have fallen in love and compromised. For those of us that have done that, Lord, forgive us. Have mercy on us. Help us to be bold enough and honest enough to admit our mistakes and ask for your forgiveness. Lord, some of us are in a relationship with a spouse and we feel like we've just grown apart. I'm serious about my faith, but he isn't. I'm serious about my faith, but my wife isn't. Lord, some of us are in that boat. I pray that you would help us to love our spouse as Christ loved the church. Help us to pray for our spouse every day, and I pray that our spouse would come to salvation so we can be equally yoked. I pray for those watching this broadcast that are single. And maybe they're pretty far along in a relationship planning on getting married and they realize they're not on the same page. I pray they'd have the boldness to put on the brakes and make sure that they're equally yoked before they proceed. And Lord, I pray for the many of us who are married, who are Christians, and who have kids or grandkids who are going to come and ask for advice at some point in the near future. I pray that we would be bold enough to share the truth from your word. It may save them a painful marriage. It may get them on the right track, Lord, to bringing you more glory and honor than ever before. We want our family members and friends to have healthy and strong marriages that bring honor and glory to you. So help us to share your word with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope this message has been a blessing to you. It's certainly been a blessing to me. Uh, preparing it, diving into God's Word so that I could share it with you today. And once again, I hope that you will share it with others. God gives us wonderful opportunities to expand our understanding of His Word and to have our hearts soften and open up to the truth of His Word. But remember, God never calls you to be a cul-de-sac. He calls you to be an expressway. Any blessing that He gives to you is designed to be passed on to others. So if this message blessed you, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on to others. God bless you as you serve our Lord Jesus Christ, as you trust him in his word, and as you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're here today and you want to find out more about accepting Christ or if you need prayer, you reach out to us at Impact. You can call us at the church office, 760-246-4100. You could email us at any time at info at greaterimpact.cc. Reach out to us anytime. If we can pray for you or be a blessing to you, 
or points you closer to Jesus Christ. God bless you as you serve him this week.